if we strip away NVIDIA and all of the AI hype, it's actually been a pretty horrific year for semiconductor sales, for global semiconductor sales. Let's say 550 billion in total semiconductor sales expected for full year 2023. Dollar cost average is the name of the game. We've always thought that is the name of the game when dealing with high growth, but richly valued software companies. Hey everyone, hope you had a good weekend. Welcome back. Today we are going to do an addition of Chip Stock Investor that we'll dub Software Stock Investor. That's not very original, but we've been doing like these cyber stock investor segments talking about cybersecurity stocks. Uh, let's talk about software today, Casey. Of course, we like software stocks because semiconductors are the foundation for software services. Yes, and software companies are infinitely scalable. You can sell software as long as you have a customer to buy the software. So we're going to talk about three software companies today. We're going to go biggest to smallest. We'll start with Salesforce, then ServiceNow, and then finally, the smallest UiPath. But first, we're going to just briefly touch on our most recent video regarding the new Huawei phone, the Mate 60 Pro and its seven nanometer chip, when we discussed it versus what's happening with Qualcomm and what that meant for us as investors. We got tons of comments and it was our most viewed video to date. Many of you liked the video and subscribed to our channel and welcome to our channel. We are very excited to have you as contributors and fellow investors, but we did get a lot of comments about the video and many of those comments were not very positive. So not a problem. We have very thick skin here at Chipstock Investor, but we would like to highlight two of those comments now that we found particularly entertaining. Nick, what was one of them? So my favorite was that there are way more smarter people on YouTube than us. Casey, no truer words have been said. There are definitely more smarter people than us on YouTube. I would 100% agree. And to back that statement up, we'll just shout out to a couple of our favorite channels where there are way more smarter people than us. Veritasium and Real Engineering. Both of those channels, if you want to actually find out the science behind some of the stuff that we're talking about here, semiconductors, transistors, you name it. These two channels have some great info and they are definitely way more smarter than we are. The second comment, Nick, I'm a little bit puzzled about, but I do want to address it because it's very important to me. Someone mentioned that you look like Herman the Monster. <laughs> okay. I think they mean Herman Munster, not Herman the Monster. That's just my guess, but okay, see, I think this is also a true statement. The resemblance is uncanny. Let the viewers decide. Make sure you give us a comment. Let us know what you think of Nick versus Herman Munster, not Herman Monster. But anyways, we'll go back to our regularly scheduled programming now. Enough of the jokes. Again, thanks everyone for commenting. We really appreciate your support. And we do love the comments for our free information. But one thing that we actually do like more than being mocked is tips. So if you want to give us a tip, 
coffee.com. We have the link in the comments and in the description of our videos. Before we dive into our software companies, we're going to talk about the semiconductor landscape as it currently stands right now. Okay, so if we strip away NVIDIA and all of the AI hype, it's actually been a pretty horrific year for semiconductor sales, for global semiconductor sales. Let's say $550 billion in total semiconductor sales expected for full year 2023. Of that 550 billion, roughly one third is PC and smartphone. That market still down significantly year over year, probably a low to mid teens percentage year over year decline, uh, driven especially by memory chips and the oversupply of memory chips. So that's down big time. Automotive and industrial. Uh, automotive has actually been up year over year, but not a ton of growth on a sequential quarterly and monthly basis because a lot of fabs that service automotive have reached capacity. Maybe next year their capacity is able to expand and that market returns to more robust growth. And then industrial has actually been down year over year as of late. Uh, and then you have cloud computing at minus the new generative AI servers. Those have actually been down this year as well. As a lot of companies shift their focus away from, let's just call it again, traditional cloud computing servers and reshift that focus to these new AI servers powered by NVIDIA. So when you average it out, you have a pretty bad year for the industry. Tech researcher Gartner expects an 11 to 12% decline in semiconductor sales in 2023 versus last year. So let's call it 550 billion. And the long-term projection is we're gonna hit 1 trillion or more in global annual semiconductor sales by 2030. So when we were talking about this last year, that was a roughly 80% increase. But now because of the decline, we're looking at a more than 80%, perhaps 90% increase in global semiconductor sales from now, end of 2023 to 2030. This growth is going to come from somewhere. And we think, as a lot of predictions are saying, a lot of it is going to come from the AI and cloud market. We'll kind of remove the AI hype and just lump all of this new AI, generative AI work into the data center and cloud computing space. We think that market will far exceed smartphone and PC sales by the end of this decade. So currently smartphone and PCs, again, about one third of total semiconductor demand, but we think that will fall to roughly one quarter of total semiconductor end market demand. And by the end of this decade, it'll actually be the data center AI cloud market that is far and away the largest end market for semiconductors at well over 300 billion per year billion of the 1 trillion global semiconductor sales market. If you think of the entire semiconductor industry as a pie, like a giant pizza, the pizza is getting bigger and the slice of pizza for data center and cloud is also getting bigger. Is that the best way to understand this, Nick? Like it's a giant Costco sized slice of pizza. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Thus, this little segment here where we want to talk about companies that are going to be able to scale off of that big piece of pie, the data center, AI, cloud market. Let's talk about these three companies. 
biggest to smallest. We'll start with Salesforce. And many of you may know Salesforce from the software services Tableau and Slack, but the company owns many of these customer relationship and software services. Nick, maybe you can just explain a little bit more to us about Salesforce and its recent foray into the AI era. Salesforce co-founder and CEO Mark Benioff, a longtime pioneer of cloud computing-based software, really helped pioneer software delivered via the cloud. Salesforce founded all the way back in 1999. So we're starting with this one because it's big. It's certainly one of our oldest software stock holdings. We've owned it for many years. Been a great uh, growth company as they've continued to expand as a lot of companies continuously adopt more of these data management systems. And of course, for all sorts of businesses, that data really revolves around their customers. What is it that their customers need? Uh, and if they figure that out, well, then you're able to make a sale. Kind of important if you are a business and <laughs> you're trying to generate a profit. So Salesforce definitely knows how to build big businesses and do so for very, very healthy profit. But the company definitely got a little out of whack during the pandemic. There was the big Slack acquisition that was made a couple of years ago. Dozens and dozens of other smaller software acquisitions made over the years, but expenses ballooned during the pandemic. And so for the last year, Salesforce has been right-sizing those expenses and then, of course, trying to convince a lot of new investors that don't know the whole Salesforce history that, yes, in fact, we do know how to generate a profit. We are not one of these small point product solutions with absolutely wild, out-of-control stock-based compensation, diluting shareholders. This is actually a long-time profitable business that has been growing profit on a per-share basis at a healthy clip for uh, more than two decades now. For reference, at the end of 2021, into the beginning of 2022, stock price was over $300 for Salesforce. It fell all the way to under 150 at the end of 2022, and now it's starting to rebound. It's hanging right around the $220 mark. I'll just run through the numbers for the most recent quarter's results. Total revenue was... 8.6 billion, which was an 11% year-over-year increase. Operating margin, 17%. Diluted earnings per share, $1.28, which was a huge increase because it was basically nil last year. Operating cash flow, 808 million. So big changes from last year. And Nick, maybe you can delve into this a little bit further and tell us what all this means. The company trimming expenses, especially stock-based compensation. And so on an adjusted basis, the company reapproaching 30% plus operating margin. It's a highly profitable company. And so you're going to see a steady convergence of gap income, gap profit. We approach the long-term trend line, the adjusted metrics here as the company laps some of the elevated expense from, from a year ago. So again, a lot of this has to do with acquisitions, especially the Slack acquisition made a couple of years ago. And Casey, let me run through how Salesforce reports its various segments. At this point, there's five breakdowns. 
you have sales and then service. These are the two oldest traditional segments for Salesforce. This is software that allows companies to manage their sales pipeline and the service provided to their existing customers. These are the slowest growing segments. This is why overall revenue has dipped all the way down to 11% year over year growth because these two areas right here, growing at just a high single digit percentage growth rate, and they're by far the largest two segments. Then we move to platform and other, uh, which has also slowed. And I'll mention this is where the Slack acquisition is. Slack is probably roughly, by my estimate, about one third of total revenue here under platform and other. So Slack, the work messaging platform, and lots of other platform-based services in here for companies to help their employees keep in touch with each other. Also some services in there for companies looking to build custom applications for what they need in their operations. We'll talk a little bit more about that with ServiceNow in a moment. Marketing and commerce, these, these were built from two older acquisitions a number of years ago. And these are services that help businesses manage their e-commerce presence, their digital presence. There's some digital advertising services in here that compete with elements of Google, of, of Facebook. Adobe also has a large presence here as well. And then finally, data. Casey, as you mentioned, Tableau is in here. There's also a company called MuleSoft, which is a data integration tool. So you can see here, all of these segments have slowed down, which is in keeping with the cloud software industry overall, a lot of customers are in cash conservation mode in 2023 as the global economy has slowed down. How is Salesforce going to be using generative AI to increase their usage by enterprise companies? Salesforce and the whole cloud industry gearing up for the next round of growth fueled by generative AI. So like everybody else, Salesforce has gone out, grabbed these generative AI services specifically for Salesforce. They have uh, partnerships with ChatGPT to help further unlock ways to make the most of company data. So they could be chatbots, employees being able to use uh, some sort of chatbot to help them find information that they need within an organization, infusing that in things like Slack infusing it in things like Tableau to help make information easier to use and help companies get more insight off of this. Now, I mentioned this though, because all of these companies have said that they are doing work with generative AI. And so we have this boom in sales from NVIDIA as they sell these GPUs and these GPU powered AI servers. Sales there are booming, but there's a lag sometimes a 12 to 18 month lag from the time those semiconductor systems are purchased. Now you have this lag time because those servers need to be installed in the data center. The software company needs to develop new services based on those servers. And then the sales force that they have has to go out and market those new services to customers. So uh, there's gonna be this lag effect and this is why we say right now, not only is Salesforce working off a tough year as many of their customers can serve cash, but also this lag where, you know, the new generative AI wave probably is not going to start having 
a material effect on revenue and profit until next year, calendar year 2024. As you can see in this slide provided by Salesforce, these growth trends are in constant currency, which excludes the effect of the U.S. dollar exchange rate. And if you include the effect of U.S. dollar exchange rate, some of these trends dip into the high single-digit growth trends because of that exchange rate and the strength of the U.S. dollar. Nick, I see that they break down MuleSoft, Tableau, and Slack total revenue here. What is the effect of these three software services on the growth trends for our Salesforce? You can see all three of these still growing above the average Salesforce software growth rate. So that's good. But Casey, you'll also notice the dip in the, the most recent reported quarter, Q2 fiscal year 2024. That's the three months ended in July 2023. You see the big fall off in growth, year over year growth, especially for MuleSoft and for Slack. So uh, this is something to keep an eye on. Uh, there have been some internal revamp of strategy in some of these acquisitions in their go-to-market strategy. Of course, the generative AI thing also taking place here. So it'll be worth monitoring these to see if there's a rebound in growth rate for all three of these acquisitions by the end of this year. Nick, I know that Salesforce upgraded their guidance for the upcoming quarter. What was that guidance? And then also maybe you can... Tell us a little bit about their share buyback program. As far as the guidance goes, the full fiscal year guidance is now expected to be 34.7 billion to 34.8 billion in revenue. That's as much as a $200 million revenue increase expected for full year 2024. So significant, but still just an 11% year over year growth rate. Historically, Salesforce has been very consistent at a more than 20% revenue growth rate. So hopefully this metric reaccelerates next year, next calendar year, 2024, fiscal 2025 for Salesforce, but we'll see. It's a new era for Salesforce where we should expect slower revenue growth, but more focus on earnings per share and free cash flow per share growth, which is where the stock buyback plan comes in, Casey. So the stock buyback that was announced Last year was the first ever for Salesforce. End of the signal, you know, a new chapter, a new leaf had been turned for this company. It was a total of $10 billion, which is decent, not the biggest there is, but a decent first stock buyback announcement. So just the last quarter alone, it did repurchase $1.95 billion worth of stock, which far exceeds stock-based compensation of 724 million. So this new chapter for Salesforce, the company reducing its share count going forward, which should equate to free cash flow per share growth and going forward after the sort of hiatus, I guess you could say for free cash flow per share growth over the last two years. Before you give us the valuation, the full year fiscal 2024 guidance earnings per share on a gap basis $3.50 to $3.52, and the adjusted earnings per share, $8.04 to $8.06. What's the valuation for Salesforce, and is this stock a buy? Okay, so again, folks, just bear in mind, the gap earnings per share and the adjusted earnings per share 
will converge over time. So the gap earnings per share uh, quickly inching their way up towards that adjusted margin as Salesforce reduces expenses, especially stock-based compensation, as well as the non-cash amortization of intangibles. That's expense that's realized over time for a past acquisition, like Slack, for example. So there will be that convergence, but based on those numbers you just rattled off, Casey, Salesforce stock currently at about $224 per share as of this recording. So that means the stock is trading for about 65, 66, let's call it times current year expected earnings per share or about 28, 29 times adjusted earnings per share. We think over the course of the next decade, Salesforce is going to continue being a double digit growth business on a revenue basis and earnings per share and free cash flow per share will grow at an even faster rate. We think this is currently a fairly priced stock. We're not buying because we're already long-term shareholders. We have a full position. It's already one of our largest stocks. But if you're looking for cloud software stock ideas, we still think even at this juncture, Salesforce is an absolute giant. Now the largest enterprise software pure play around, but still very much a growth company. And we like how Benioff and company were able to quickly pivot in this new era where profitable growth is even more important than ever. Let's segue into ServiceNow. This company has some similar elements to it that Salesforce provides. How is ServiceNow differentiated in the software as a service space? ServiceNow is more of a focused play specifically on workflow systems. So it started in IT services for an IT company and also just general workforce management and also customer digital experience management. You can think of this as a way for a company to set up uh, service tickets and then track the progress of that task as it gets worked on by the organization. And then along the way, the beauty of, of ServiceNow is it's a workflow automation platform. So what the software does is it will find maybe cogs in the system, let's say, places where that workflow is hitting a bottleneck and getting slowed down. And it can help a company figure out, okay, here's this hang up in the system. Here's a way that we can make it more efficient. Let's figure out a way to automate tasks at this bottleneck in our workflow, and then thus in increase efficiency, which is to say increase profitability. Recently, ServiceNow and NVIDIA announced a partnership in which ServiceNow would begin to use NVIDIA's AI chips and training software to help make their platform even more efficient and in turn help customers with making their workflows more efficient. And NVIDIA will use ServiceNow in their organization to help with research development and making that process more automated and more efficient. Yeah, great point, Casey. I think this helps illustrate what ServiceNow does exactly and how it helps complete this virtuous cycle of, of continuous optimization. So you design more powerful chips and optimize them for new software use cases. 
you implement the software and then you use some of that software's power in turn to help optimize more efficient, more powerful chips. You get this virtuous cycle like you do in any manufacturing industrial process where you design more efficient hardware and then you take the service and use the more efficient service resulting from that to help make more efficient hardware or more efficient infrastructure. In the most recent quarter, ServiceNow reported a subscription revenue of 25.5% year-over-year increase versus 24% last year. And I'll just mention one other important point that I saw. They ended Q2 with 45 customers with more than 20 million in ACV or average contract value, representing 55% year-over-year increase. So ultimately, what that means is businesses are seeing the value of what ServiceNow provides and choosing to either extend contracts or use their software services even more fully. Absolutely. So you can see ServiceNow bucking the trend of general slowdown in cloud software growth. And that's because the buzzword this year is AI, automate. If you're trying to conserve cash, and you're an executive at an organization, you're probably cutting expense on anything that is not helping you cut more costs. But ServiceNow, specifically, all they do is help companies become more efficient. If you have a budget somewhere on something that's not helping you cut costs and you cut that cost, you're, you might allocate it towards something like ServiceNow, which helps you cut costs even further. That sounds confusing. But again, another virtuous cycle here, benefiting ServiceNow AI and automation, uh, these buzzwords, but behind the scenes, what that actually means is how do we get more profitable? And ServiceNow is helping companies become more profitable. And so, of course, if you're looking at your budget, you will be more than willing to spend money with a company that is helping you do that. Free cash flow and net income have been very profitable over the last year. Free cash flow, $2.3 billion. Net income, $1.4 billion for ServiceNow. And the free cash flow profit margin is expected to be 30% this year. So the company, very profitable. Expected subscription revenue is $8.6 billion, which means they will generate about 2.6 to 2.7 billion in free cash flow for this fiscal year. Well, on a valuation basis, Casey, this is actually very similar to Salesforce. Uh, based on gap earnings per share, the stock currently trades about 60 times current fiscal year expected EPS. But based on that free cash flow outlook that you just rattled off, uh, the stock trading for about 45 times expected current year free cash flow. Not exactly a cheap value stock here, but if you think ServiceNow can continue to grow at a healthy, as far as it appears right now, 20% plus revenue growth rate over the course of the next, let's say three to five years, and grow its free cash flow and earnings on a per share basis at an even faster rate. This is a, another software stock that we think is worth considering right now. Because of those, those higher premium valuations though, I should probably mention all of these stocks we think are really good dollar cost average candidates. Don't go out and drop a ton of money all at once on these. Maybe think about if you decide to buy it all, 
think about adding these stocks to your portfolio in little bits at a time, maybe monthly, quarterly, uh, or something like that. Dollar cost average is the name of the game. We have always thought that is the name of the game when dealing with high growth, but richly valued software companies. Moving on to UiPath, which is also a software service company that is trying to automate processes for businesses. And I'll show you a slide from their investor presentation for a good illustration and example of what this company does. They have software robots. In the illustration, you have a mortgage loan officer who has to do every single part of the process, every detail to approve a mortgage loan. And with a company such as UiPath using their software, much of that process gets automated. And then the loan officer can spend more time drinking coffee and headed to the water cooler for office gossip. <laughs> right. Hopefully not. Hopefully their effort is just being reallocated elsewhere. But it, that's a good illustration of, of what the company does, Casey. There's a lot of other use cases for UiPaths bots. Uh, this type of software is known as robotic process automation or RPA. You, you may see that mentioned a lot in the company's presentations, RPA. And so these bots can be used out of the box for certain use cases, or a company can use them and customize them to their own needs. So a couple other examples, you might have a call center and rather than having this old system, that's highly human driven and inefficient, you're just taking in call and the agent has no idea what the customer is calling in about. Maybe you have this RPA process that helps divert calls to maybe a messaging system, maybe an email system, or maybe routing it to an agent for a phone call. And that RPA is helping the agent along the way understand what it exactly the customer needs. Why, why are they getting in contact in the first place? So it helps speed up the process. Uh, another one might be a finance department. We actually have an example that UiPath provides for one of their customers, Applied Materials, one of our favorite semiconductor stocks. When Applied Materials was looking at this wave of growth coming in the coming years for semiconductor manufacturing equipment, they determined that, you know what, well, our finance department with its existing size can actually handle all of this new work if we just automate the processes, automate uh, tickets, order information, customer information, automate the finance work, automate the compliance work that goes into a finance department. And so a uh, success story here, even as Applied Materials has grown over the last few years and expects to grow further in the next few years, they've been able to keep some of their SG&A costs fixed using RPA software. To give you a little bit of background on UiPath's management team and some shuffles that have been made recently, Robert Inslin, former president of Google Cloud, came in and became co-CEO at UiPath last year. Daniel Dynas, who was the co-founder and co-CEO of UiPath as of January 2024, will be the chief innovation officer and Robert Inslin will be the sole CEO of the company. We thought this was a sh significant shuffle in the C-suite and it looks like the effects of that change up are immediately being realized 
because during the Q2 earnings update, UiPath announced a share buyback plan. Uh, they have a massive amount of cash, $1.8 billion in cash and short-term investments, zero debt. And the company has actually reached robust, positive free cash flow in the last year, which is fantastic. It means the company is now sustainable. We'll talk more about valuation here in a moment. So Enslin and, and the board of directors deciding, you know what, we've got all of this money on hand. We're free cash flow, which means we're able to sufficiently fund growth operations and all the innovation that, that, that Dynas and, and, and the tech team are working on uh, on this RPA platform. Let's return some of that cash to shareholders. We'll, we'll buy back stock and offset some of the effects of stock-based compensation. You know, that nasty metric that everybody became very acutely aware of uh, during the bear market of 2022. So we thought this is a great move. We, we've owned UiPath since not long after the IPO a few years back. This is another one that broke our standard rule on uh, of waiting to buy an IPO until at least six to 12 months uh, after it becomes publicly traded. And after that kind of held pat, uh, stock has been obliterated, but it's starting to look like a compelling value now as, as the company kind of transitions into this post-pandemic era. Q2 revenue grew 19% year over year to $287 million. and. This doesn't sound great because last year at this same time, it was 24% growth year over year. And the year before that, in 2021, it was 40%. Nick, can you explain this slowdown in growth for us? It's more of just the general cloud compute software slowdown trend. Uh, it has been unfortunate for UiPath. It, they have decelerated this year. And for a company that, that touts automation, AI and automation, much as ServiceNow does, it would have been nice to see the company kind of sustain some of its growth rates, uh, especially maybe sustain it above the 20% mark. Now, uh, management has been talking about a lot of new innovation going on. Of course, like everyone else, new generative AI tools have been launched. So along with the full suite of RPA, you also have new chatbots and generative AI, large language model powered chatbots and other features in the suite to help you build your, your army of, of software robots that can be unleashed on tasks. So maybe it sounds like this Q2 revenue growth rate is perhaps some sort of bottom, and maybe going forward, UiPath starts reporting a re-acceleration in revenue growth. Maybe calendar year 2024, the company is able to get back over the 20% mark. We'll see. But either way, so much like everybody else in the cloud computing software market, though, we needed to see this transition this year from growth at any cost to profitable growth. And it looks like UiPath has turned the corner on that. Now, the stock buyback I just mentioned, 500 million, is perhaps management's confidence that they have turned that corner. We'll see how they execute that plan. But uh, Casey, let's, let's talk about the free cash flow generation here. And again, the convergence of gap net income towards free cash flow generation. Let's talk specifically about what those profit metrics were for Q2 fiscal year 2024. That was the three months ending in July of this year. Gap operating loss, 77.6 million. Adjusted free cash flow, 46.6 million. 
Nick, maybe you can explain to us why the gap operating loss was negative. So Casey, let me talk about why the gap operating metric is negative. It's two primary line items. The first, amortization. These are intangibles, let's say software purchased in the past. It's already paid for, but the cost of that is realized over time. So that was 31 million last quarter. And then the big one, stock-based compensation, again, paid to employees, 187 million, the first half of this current year. That's a big number, but it does appear UiPath is getting that under control because stock-based comp was 190 million the first half of 2022. So that figure down slightly year over year, it would be nice to see them continue to whittle that number down. And if they're able to do so, and we'll see that convergence of gap profitability converge with that nice free cash flow generation that we now have at UiPath. Okay, let's talk about valuation for UiPath. What are the valuation numbers, Nick? So we can't talk about earnings per share because UiPath doesn't generate any gap earnings per share, but we can talk about free cash flow per share. And currently the stock trades for about 61 times trailing 12 month free cash flow. That's as of this recording with the stock trading at about $18.50 per share based on estimates for full year period. And for next year, our estimate, we think UiPath trades for roughly 45 to 50 times current year free cash flow. And we think that figure drops all the way down to 30 to 35 times next year's estimated free cash flow. So this assumes two things, Casey, the company gets back to or above 20% revenue growth. And it's able to continue keeping its expenses in check, uh, which should equate to even faster free cash flow per share growth over the next year and a half. Again, this company is an AI automation platform. They should be able to do this because they should be able to take that same automation capability that they provide their customers and do it for themselves. This is a stock that I think we are now warming back up to. And like, Every higher growth, but richly valued software stock, it's a dollar cost average candidate. So this is one that it's a very, very tiny itty bitty position, almost insignificant position in our portfolio right now. We're warming up to it, but even given that this is, well, we'll nibble on in bits on a quarterly basis going forward. That's all from us today at Chipstock Investor. We have updates on Pure Storage coming up as well as some other AI server companies. And then we'll also cover Onto Innovations update on their sales of semiconductor manufacturing equipment that happened recently. Hope you're enjoying the channel. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notification bell so you don't miss a video. We will see you all later this week at Chipstock Investor.